This week, we welcome Jeff Coslow, Deputy CISO at ExtraHop, to discuss how to strengthen your cloud security posture. In the leadership and communications segment, why leaders should make decisions slowly, what Einstein's most famous equation says about maximizing your productivity, shift to digital business is booming, but are CEOs ignoring associated risks, and more. Business Security Weekly starts now. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we explore the business of security to improve the security of business. Your trusted source for actionable insights on leadership, communication, and innovation. Get ready for Business Security Weekly. Security can't solve crucial problems when they have to wade through thousands of alerts a day. With ServiceNow, you can easily prioritize and respond to your most crucial business threats. That way, you can go from overwhelmed to under control. ServiceNow brings security, risk, and IT together on one platform. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash ServiceNow. These days, it's rarely a case of if you'll be hacked and more of a question of when. Once the attacker has passed your defenses, they cover their tracks and systematically infiltrate your network to steal information or shut your business down. You need to rethink the way security is delivered for your digitally transformed business. And there's one security solution that delivers it all, NetScout. Get visibility without borders for consistent detection, mitigation, and prevention across any network, data center, cloud, 5G, and more. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash NetScout. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Welcome to Business Security Weekly. This is episode number 145, recorded September 30th, 2019. I am your host, Matt Alderman, here in Colorado. Joining me from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island are my co-hosts, Paul Asadorian and Jason Albuquerque. Matt, how's it going? Hey, Matt, it's great to be back here in G-Unit. Yes. Are you not having cigars? Yeah. I, do it's, I just... It's all good. It's all good. Oh. My voice is still recovering. Remember oh, last okay. Week? That's what I thought. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I think two weeks ago you were remote. Last week you were a little under the weather, so welcome back and Thank in you, studio. Thank you, Matt. It's good to be back here. It's always fun to be in studio. I'll be there tomorrow. Yay. Missed you by a day. I know. Always. Sorry. <laughs> We have exciting news about the Security Weekly podcast program. We are now partnered with ISC Squared as an official CPE provider. If you attend any of our webcasts, you will be receiving one CPE credit per webcast. Register for one of our upcoming webcasts with SaltStack, Preempt, ServiceNow, or, secu- or Core Security, or all of them, by going to securityweekly.com forward slash webcast. If you've missed any of our previously recorded webcasts, including an awesome webcast with ExtraHop last week, you can find them in our on-demand library at securityweekly.com forward slash on-demand. Also, Security Weekly will be at Hacker Halted in Atlanta, Georgia this October 10th and 11th. 
If you are attending and would like to sponsor an interview, please submit your interest on our conference request form at securityweekly.com forward slash booking. EC Council is offering our listeners a free, yes, free discount code to get into the conference. Use discount code HH19SW when you register or go to securityweekly.com forward slash hacker halted and, re- and register there. All right, let's get to our guest. Jeff Coslo is a security technologist and leader with over 20 years of deep experience securing information and technology assets, as well as years of successful engineering leadership, delivering secure product deployments to thousands of customers. Jeff is the deputy CISO at ExtraHop, leading the team towards groundbreaking security and privacy services. Jeff, welcome to Business Security Weekly. Thanks, it's good to be here. Uh, we're going to talk cloud security a little bit. We had a great uh, webcast uh, with Tom Stitt last week, Paul and I, when I was in studio, uh, talking about aspects of, of what I think we'll talk about today, but a little more slanted towards cloud security. Uh, but before we jump into kind of the specifics, um, give us a little more of your background, kind of where have you been? How did you end up at ExtraHop, you know, your role at ExtraHop as, as deputy CISO? Yeah, so my, my background is mostly engineering. I wrote code for many years. Uh, I started my career over 20 years ago at a Kerberos vendor, actually, before uh, Windows 2000 integrated Kerberos in. And so we were doing Kerberos there. Uh, and ever since then, I've just been involved in security. I joined uh, during the first internet boom. I joined a, a small startup. Uh, they do load balancers called F5. And we built up uh, we built up that business. And I ran before I left there, I ran the security team there. So I consider myself a, a deep technologist in, in you know, involve, trying to involve technology in everything and understanding, understanding uh, how technology affects, affects security. And so I came over here and we were starting to build out some of our security, security functionality into the product and, and building out use cases. And that's when I decided that I wanted to, rather than write code, I wanted to uh, get involved in how, how people use, use technology to solve their security problems. You know, it's interesting back in the day, right. talk about Kerberos. I mean, before we had all this fancy Active Directory stuff, uh, when I worked at uni- a lot of universities used to use Kerberos with LDAP, mm-hmm. basically just rolled all the open source stuff together to create their university's directory service. Uh, and that, I mean, that was common commonplace yeah. uh, back in the day. So I don't know how common very, it is. Very common, yeah. I don't know how common it is today. Um, <laughs> a lot of schools have transitioned to, to well, the, our discussion, right, have transitioned into the cloud, right. have transitioned into Active Directory, which mm-hmm. is now transitioning into the cloud uh, via Azure. So, But we still don't yeah. forget those ticket-granting tickets and all those Kerberos <laughs> things that made our heads explode, <laughs> at least my head exploded <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, the the really uh, Kerberos is an interesting protocol. I spent yeah. a lot of time working on it. Um, mm. It is it it's it's beautiful in its simplicity, but it's got it's it's actually it operates like a program des- or a protocol designed in the eighties, and we've we've moved on since then. But uh, it's still an interesting little protocol. I still yeah. I'm kind of a protocol guy, and <laughs> that's one that still has, has a beautiful little place in my heart. I just yeah. really like Agreed. the way it operates. Agreed. Yeah. In, in speaking of protocols, I mean, that's one of the things that ExtraHop does, right? When we think about monitoring network traffic and the things that you guys do, you're monitoring flow, you're monitoring protocols, you're pulling packets, you're actually pulling a lot, a lot of network uh, traffic and information together to help customers kind of analyze it, make sense of 
where is malicious or abnormal behavior going on in the network? Yeah, exactly. We pull, uh, we parse uh, on the order of 60 protocols and we pull a uh, big number. We pull about 5,000 metrics about everything that's happening on your network. And we do that in real time. Uh, as the packets come in, we analyze them, put them in a, put them in a database and keep track of all the metrics. And, uh, and the really neat thing about that is we've been doing that. We built that uh, 12 years ago. Since we've built up that metric store, uh, a while ago we discovered uh, machine learning works really well when you give it a good source of well-structured data. Turns out we had well-structured data about what's happening on your network. And so we started doing some machine learning and writing some machine learning algorithms. And if eventually we got to the point where we could use our machine learning and some of the technologies that we developed. I don't want to turn it all about machine learning, but some of the technologies we developed to get extract interesting information off the network to apply that to security use cases. And it's been real successful. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, ExtraHop's been going through this transition over the past couple of years of a network performance company now into really analyzing the network for security activity as well. And I think that's a, an interesting transition. We've seen a, a few others successful do this. Splunk is a good use case of taking IT log data and then realizing that there's a, a really huge security use case around logs. You guys are kind of doing the same thing at the network layer. Right, exactly. Um, so that sort of leads to my, my kind of theory of, uh, of how you can get information and where you should have analytics and data about what's happening on your network, right? There's, there's the SIM, which most people have one of those. It's fairly well understood. It, it takes log data and it turns it into analytics. Um, and then there's endpoint responses, right? Endpoint agents. So you've got all this information about the endpoint coming in. Seems to me like the least well-utilized portion of what you have is is the network, right? It is the ground truth. Anything that's on the network has, or anything, any attacker has to operate on the network. It's all there. The problem is, is extracting that information out. It's it's a ton of data, uh, obviously, right? 100 gigabit networks are pretty standard these days. Um, that's a lot of data, but understanding that data, what you need is you need to be able to drill down and pull out just the analytics you want and then drop the rest of the packets and continue on, drop the rest of the packet. Cause a lot of it is not the content of the packet. It's about the metadata. That's usually in the kind of the beginning portion of the packet, not always, but usually. And so you can extract that data, turn, <clears throat> excuse me, turn that into actionable information. That's, that's the challenge that we're facing today. For me, I, I think we used to and still do talk about understanding what's normal in yeah. your network. We're like, oh, well, we'll collect exactly from the three points you mentioned. We'll collect stuff from the network. We'll collect stuff from the mm -hmm. endpoints. We'll collect stuff from the logs. Yep. And we'll put it in a system. And we'll figure out a baseline and look at what's normal. And then we'll just look at deviations. I think largely that theory is way more complex than it sounds you know, as you said, that kind of triggered that was you're looking at 5,000 different, sure. you know, scenarios, for lack of a better term, you know, with machine learning to understand maybe not what's not normal, but what could potentially be an attack. And I think mm -hmm. oftentimes those are two different things because what we may have deemed as normal could be malicious in a different context. Right. So, so probably one of the easiest ways to, to think about that, and, and I, I give this example sometimes. Um, of those of those 5,000 metrics that we have, keeping track of all those seems kind of normal, and you never quite know what you're going to get out of it. And this is this one was surprising to me, and, and so I'll, I'll give this example, this story. Um, 
a few years ago, Mimikatz would always write its forged tickets or stolen tickets, however you want to phrase it, mm-hmm. with RC4 encryption on it. Uh, that's that's moved on today, and this this example is getting a little little dated. But uh, just merely detecting that a tool is using RC4 instead of AES, maybe we should take a look at that ticket. Maybe we should figure out what's happening with that with that Kerberos ticket. Um, and that's like I said, that's a dated example, but it's a good example of something that's just an easy something to pick out of the haystack and start doing some investigation on that. But you don't want to do that all the time. It could have been. Right could have been a really ancient host. Mm-hmm. And so we, we need to do a little bit of analysis on that. And, you know, we can tell if, for example, this client always uses AES to encrypt its tickets, and then all of a sudden it started using RC4. That's not correct, and we should probably do some investigation on that. So I, I think that's an example. Uh, it's a little dated, but that is an example of what we can, what we can extract. Yeah, and I think having the context around what doesn't match normal is yeah. really, really where it's at, right? knowing that Correct. it's not an older host, right? Mm-hmm. And having some context around that. Yeah, being able to gain that context is is super important. Uh, we've been adding some new features lately to try to figure out what OS is running, uh, figure out whether they're a load balancer or the gateway or, or even a vulnerability scanner on your network. That matters, right? We don't want to go investigate everything our vulnerability scanner started, started creating. Uh, but on the other hand, we don't want somebody to change a user agent or something that says, "Oh, Nessus, don't worry about me." We certainly don't want to have that. We want to know that you were a user agent or you were a vulnerability scanner a long time ago, and you're still a vulnerability scanner as opposed to a workstation. And all of a sudden, using lying about your user agent or lying about who you are. Mm. Yeah, and and now we're starting to see this move into the cloud, right? So part of this discussion is to talk about. How do you pull the network stuff out of the cloud, right? Is is we move our infrastructure off of our on-prem data centers into these different cloud environments? There have been, up until recently, a lot of limitations on how you pull that network traffic out. But both uh, Microsoft and Amazon have made some announcements to be able to mirror some of that traffic mm-hmm. and bring that also in to ExtraHop to also kind of correlate your your hybrid environments as well. Yeah, that's correct. As a as a security professional, I want to look at all of my all of my all of my data centers, all of the information that I have, right? I just I don't want to look at just one particular area. I want to apply the same tools everywhere so that we can do the same investigation. And I'm really excited about uh, uh, Microsoft kind of announced it first, but AWS has taken over. AWS uh, Microsoft calls it a VTAP. AWS calls it a, a VPC peering or mirroring. Um, but the end result is we get all those packets from which we can extract useful information. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think uh, part, part of that is the tool consolidation. The fact that we were launch partners with both of those is is uh, really good. We've been waiting for this sort of thing to come along. We knew that we could eventually get packets out of the cloud, but it just wasn't happening. And now that it's happening, it, it just feels like this is a, this could be a sea change or a big shift in the in the industry as to, as to how to gain visibility into your packets and your network. Yeah, we've we've gotten log data out of the cloud providers through some of the offerings that they've had. When it comes to endpoints, though, unless you're running your own dedicated endpoints, that one's going to be a little hard. So the ability to get packet data now actually is pretty interesting in certain scenarios where you may not have endpoint visibility to augment that lack of endpoint data that you can't get and correlating that with some of the other log sources that the cloud providers are, are now making available. 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm also a big fan of some of the new frameworks that are coming out, but not so new anymore, but, you know, try to get as much coverage as you can. And if, uh, if you don't have logs in a certain area or you don't have endpoint agents in a certain area, what can you fall back on? Well, network is the ground truth. You can mm. certainly get that information from there. You may want to augment it with something else, but uh, certainly you can at least start your investigation, start getting down into it and understanding what's happening. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to where do these three sources of data come together, log, endpoint, network data, is the SIM still the place for this integration in, in is trying to happen? Or are you guys bringing some of that data natively into ExtraHop to actually analyze the data and, and do some additional work there? Yeah, we're, we're spending some time looking around to see if we can figure out how to get some of the endpoint data and, and apply that in one in one uh, in one pane of glass, so to speak. Um, it, for the meantime, I think we've got we're working on integrations. You can go to our website and look, but we've got some integrations with uh, with a lot of the the endpoint vendors and a lot of the the sims to try to figure out how to how to be able to show all the information. If you start an investigation in your sim and you want to gain some more network information about what that what that particular uh, device is doing on your network, pivot over into the extra hop, start getting some detail about that. Maybe you're going to want to go pivot into the uh, into the endpoint detection response console and get some information from there. Um, I think that we as security vendors and all the security vendors in the space need to be able to try to build those integrations and be able to make that easy to pivot from tool to tool and get as much information as you can to conduct your investigation. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I mean, from, from the practitioner side, right? That's the struggle for our analysts is they have so many point solutions they have to work with, so many different systems they have to jump into, so much noise coming at them on a day-to-day -day basis. So to hear the vendor say, number one, we want to eliminate noise with things like machine learning, machine learning, right? And integrations with other systems, that's only going to help our analysts to respond quicker, right? And, and at the end of the day, detecting it isn't enough. We have to be able to get that quick response time. So hearing that you're, you know, you're, you're pushing toward integrations with some of those top vendors is, is, is wonderful to hear from a CISO's perspective who has analysts who work from my, my organization. Right. Yeah, there's a, there's a reason why we switched away from calling it uh, antivirus to detection and response, mm. right? Detection and response. We need to do both of those. So I, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. I, I think that figuring out how to supply value there and, and work with other tools is, is really important. I do understand multiple panes of glass is sometimes not as nice as working on a single pane of glass, mm. but as somebody pointed out, uh, a dirty pane of glass isn't quite what you want either. You need, you need to have clarity <laughs> through it. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, it's the context, right? And by bringing all that information together, you can get a better picture of what's going on within the network. Mm -hmm. Jason, so that brings me an uh, interesting question, yeah, right? Yeah. From a carousel perspective, mm -hmm. what does that optimal integration kind of look like a little bit? Is, is it a, a network alert data and endpoint alert data into your system? And that's where alerting happens, which provides at least centralization for alerts and then it's pivoting to the other platforms as you start an investigation and do a deeper dive into the forensics. Yeah, I mean, I mean, today sim sim is kind of that that pane of glass everybody looks into to begin with, right? I mean, that's where everything begins, and then you kind of have to make your way outbound to all those other log sources um, if you want to do a deeper dive. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're we're still doing it the traditional way, where where sim is kind of that alert mechanism, and then we have to jump into our endpoint management to take a look, or you know, on the network side, jump jump into. I mean, we're a, we're a big Fortinet company. 
company. So, you know, for the analyzer and start doing detection there and start looking through those logs. But to be able to bring things together, like we're talking about here, um, you know, and have all that information kind of at your fingertips within, let's say, a click or two, uh, that's, that's nirvana for, for my team, right? They want to be able to, number one, get good information, uh, have that information correlated, and then be able to jump very quickly between all of those log sources. Yeah, and I think one of the big challenges is getting into some of that deep dive of the network traffic because mm -hmm. trying to analyze PCAPs <clears throat> or something like that cannot, is, you know, it's not easy for some analysts, especially your junior analysts. I yep. mean, understanding PCAP data gets a little rough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Anytime you go into Wireshark, you're going to spend, you're going to get a lot of data, but you're going to spend 20 minutes or a half hour when... I'm pretty convinced that some of those metrics, those 5,000 metrics I mentioned earlier, m many of those are going to answer some of the questions you want. You just want to be able to figure out whether this, uh, maybe it had a certain user agent mm -hmm. or something like that. Whatever little data piece you've got that you need to get to, often Wireshark is way too deep of a dive for somebody. And believe me, I speak of somebody who's used Wireshark a lot, and I shouldn't, I'm not maligning Wireshark. I think it's an incredible tool. But from a detection and response standpoint, it's also a 20 minute job to do exactly. just about anything. It's not efficient. Yeah. yeah. So when you think about the value extra hop brings into the network and analyzing this data, where are some of that value versus using a Wireshark or just NetFlow data, right? Because you could use just your NetFlow data as well to get some of this information. Oh, before we get there, this is the <laughs> thought I have on that because Chris, Chris Breton is amazing uh, in putting this in context and, and I want you to use this if, if you like it. So what, what Chris said is that uh, all of the alerts or indicators are on a scale from 1 to 10, right? 1 to 3 are the easy ones. Most of us can spot those and go, yep, that's normal. 7 to 10 mm -hmm. are the, oh, my God, file a ticket. Yep. Everyone's going to drop everything kind of thing. It's that everything from 4 to 6 that we spend our time on, we're in Wireshark analyzing mm -hmm. stuff junior analysts are pulling data from different sources as well, yeah. trying to analyze it. And that's where we spend the time to determine if those things in the middle are something we need to pay attention to or if they're normal. What I like about tools about ExtraHop, and I'll pay them a compliment, mm -hmm. is they are one of the vendors that helps shrink that time you spend yeah. in the four to six uh, range in Chris Brenton's scale of indicators of compromise. Yeah, which is, which is incredibly yeah. important. Yeah, I agree. I we my team my team is the threat research team and we mm -hmm. do we do all that sort of stuff. And one of the things that we've done is we've gone out of our way to kind of make a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down um, inside our GUI so that you can look at it and you can say, oh, you know, when I see these again, I'm de definitely interested in seeing this particular class. Or there might be another class that you know that this is commonly issued by that and you can thumbs down that. Mm -hmm. And then we'll take advantage of that in some of our machine learning to make sure that, you know, we give you just the alerts that you want. Mm -hmm. You can also suppress some alerts and things like that. But, but determining whether something is a four or a six or, or a 10 yeah. is... Is, is response. That's what we need to get really good right, at. Right. That's the name of the game right there. Yep. Yeah. And so obviously the analytics plays into that. The ability to capture that data. I think one of the other real values of extra hop is the ability to capture large uh, network data volumes passively, not in line. The ability to get that uh, network traffic pretty quickly and easily uh, into your system as one of those other huge uh, value plays for, for customers. Yeah, I think uh, I, as we spoke uh, 
or one of the, one of the features that we we have that I'm really proud of is we have a 100 gigabit appliance that we can put in in line. Uh, I'm sorry, out of it's out of band, but we can put that in your in your data center and eat 100 gigabits worth of traffic. And I think that's that's kind of amazing in 2019 that we can yeah. we can get that amount of data extraction and analytics in. Uh, it happens to be in 2U, but uh, that's you know that's not that's the way things are these days. Yeah, and you can also uh, handle encrypted traffic, which is the other big um, issue that a lot of organizations are facing as you see more and more encrypted traffic. How do you get that encrypted traffic without playing that man in the middle? You can also do that as well in your passive um, appliances as well. Yeah, the, yeah, the appliance can, can eat, uh, when we say 100 gigabits, that's actually 100 gigabits in the appliance, uh, including encrypted traffic. So, so we can pick all that apart. So there's a couple different ways we do that. You can either... Uh, lodge your RSA keys with us and we'll put it in there or we've got a special PFS secret agent so PFS is perfect forward secrecy the one that doesn't allow you to uh, be a be a man in the middle in the conversation um, so we've got a special agent that we can install that will send us the session keys and then we can have decryption uh, the really nice thing is that it flows all the way through so if we are doing packet capture and we've got the packets we can deliver you a uh, uh, what is essentially a PCAP-NG file that includes the key store in it so that you can actually go in and see the encrypted traffic right there. If, you're, if you've got permission to extract the packets, you'll get the, you'll get the session key along with it. It's, it's really, really neat stuff. I'm really impressed with the way we can do that. And then in the cloud, do you use uh, a virtual appliance or is it just an integration with their mirroring service? H how does that work? In, in the cloud, it's the same appliance that you would put... Uh, that you would put on premises, except it's in the cloud and, and it just runs there and you don't get some of the fancy hardware offload of the encryption, but you can still eat as much traffic as you can get and push it into it. Uh, same management rules apply. If you want to, if you want to lodge your secret keys in there, you can do that or you can install the secret agent and, uh, and get the same session key. So it works exactly the same. Got it. Yep. Same appliance, just different location. Just different location. It's in the awesome. cloud. Yep. Uh, right. Paul, Jason, any additional questions for Jeff while we have him? Yeah. So what's the uh, the value uh, when you're going to the C-suite, right? So, you know, this being Business Security Weekly, mm -hmm. I have what I think would be like my sales pitch, but, you know, Jeff, we want to hear it from you. Yeah. So I, I would I would put that the, the value has to do with a quicker investigation. Um uh, so, for example, one of the use cases that, that my team actually discovered was uh, we had a Chrome extension. Uh, ex ex it was essentially masquerading as, uh, as one of the ad blockers. And so it, was, it had a low and slow. It was constantly outputting the URLs that somebody was visiting. And if you've got poorly written apps inside the URL, you might have things like usernames or passwords or things like that being sent out. We were able to discover that. We were able to find that. We were able to shut it down. This was uh, like December last year. It was about a year ago. Uh, I contacted the Google Play Store, and uh, and they took down an extension that was quite obviously exfiltrating. We found a couple more just like that. Um, that's a, that's a separate problem discussing mm -hmm. uh, discussing Chrome extensions. But uh, being able to find things very quickly that are either low and slow or don't have the ability to be discovered any other way is, is our value proposition. Totally. Yeah. 
So, so one of the things that, that our, our organization likes to look at is operational efficiency, right? So, so talk to me a little bit about extra hop and any level of operational efficiency it can bring to the SOC, like automations or, or anything of that nature. Integrations too. Yeah, integrations too, yeah. Yeah, integration. So uh, uh, again, also a big proponent of integrations. I think uh, I, I'm actually really excited about some of the new SOAR stuff that's coming out right now. Um, since we are an out-of-band appliance, we're not in line for every single packet. We don't have the ability to stop packets. Um, but what we do have is a standard API. Mm-hmm. And so we've already built a couple of integrations with a couple of the SOAR vendors. Um, and so we've got the ability to integrate in with whatever workflow. Now, what I usually say here is I, I've been around for a long time. 20 years ago, we were talking about uh, blocking things, shoving things over onto a VLAN, or, mm-hmm. or just doing something to to stop the traffic. Uh, I, my problem with this is in order to have a really good automated workflow, you need to have confidence. Mm-hmm. You need to have, first of all, confidence that the diagnosis is correct, and second of all, confidence that the action that you're taking is also correct. Um, the the use, use case 20 years ago was, well, the CEO never logs into his laptop, and the night before the earnings call, he logged into his laptop, and so we didn't trust it, so we shut that laptop down, right? That story has been around for a really long time. It's probably cartoony at this point, but nonetheless, having confidence that the diagnosis that you had is the correct one, and the confidence that the action that you're taking is not going to cause you essentially be a career limiting move mm-hmm. in this case mm-hmm. those are the two things you need to build up and, and I, I have uh, I have a lot of confidence in our diagnosis ability that you can build that into a workflow and understand what you're doing and you've still got to build those workflows I don't think that there's many vendors who are going to immediately pop you the correct workflow in every single case mm-hmm. but confidence in the diagnosis is what's going to get you there in, in the long run yeah now that's, that's great because I mean you know CISOs today are, are, are fighting the good fight to get that seat at the table and show that we're business enablers, right? And the last thing we want to do is shut down the business because of one of these exercises because of a false positive. But what I, and what I like and what I've heard and we did the webcast and we've been working with Extra Hop is that I, I think it's really like three things. It enables junior analysts uh, to do mm-hmm. more on your team Absolutely. and be, be more effective. Maximize the resources. For senior analysts, it takes that time you're spending in that four to six mm-hmm. and reduces it way down. Yeah. And it's improving the operational efficiency of your other yeah, tools. Yeah. Those I mean, are the kind of like three things we look for in solutions that we, oh, that we recommend. I mean, right? I mean at the end of the day, the, that's we, how you have, sell it to me. We have to keep the lights on in the run, right? Yeah. And, and the limited amount of resources that we have on our security teams these days, I mm-hmm. want them focusing on growth and transformation of our organization. Yes. And I want to pop as much of that run out of band as I possibly can. So having solutions like this mm-hmm. is going to help me do that, right? Mm-hmm. It's going gonna, it's gonna to give me some level of, of automation or you know a solution to take that run off the table to keep the lights on, the daily activities off the table as much as I possibly can. So I have these folks focusing on enabling the business. Yep. Absolutely. Tier, tier, tier two analyst promoted, promoted automatically to tier three analysts or yep. however you want to describe that is, is an efficiency play, mm-hmm. huge efficiency play. Yep. Agreed. It's awesome. Yeah. And adding all the network context into the rest of the data mm-hmm. definitely needed to make sure we're, we're building that confidence in our detections. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on Business Security Weekly. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. If anyone wants to learn more about ExtraHop, cloud security, or get a demo of ExtraHop for VLX, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash ExtraHop. 
We'll take a quick break and then cover the leadership and communications articles for this week. Cloud-first development helps your business move fast, but misconfigurations and blind spots are part of the deal. App and dev teams get the flexibility, while security teams are left with the stress of managing new risk using legacy workflows. ExtraHop RevealX provides cloud-native network detection and response, backed by cloud-scale machine learning that helps you spot threats and unify processes across hybrid environments. Learn more at extrahop.com forward slash security weekly. That's extrahop.com forward slash security weekly. Let the team at Black Hills Information Security test your defenses. With over 10 years of experience in penetration testing, red teaming, and threat hunting, the testers at Black Hills will help you find the holes in your security before the bad guys do. The team at Black Hills cares about educating and sharing their knowledge by creating countless blogs, open source tools, and webcasts for you to learn more about the tradecraft of pen testing and red teaming. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash BHIS to join their mailing list and view the latest blogs and webcasts from Black Hills Information Security. Keep your company and products relevant, competitive, and reliable by standardizing your security framework to protect intellectual property, become a reliable business partner, and guard financial and customer information. Standards Connect is an online standards management solution from ANSI. It's standards access simplified. Standards Connect is a cost-saving, fully customizable solution for entrepreneurs and companies that spend $2,000 or more per year on standards and want to translate spend into a subscription model, want to simplify access, search, monitoring, and collaboration, or need a centralized hub of standards for multiple users at one or more locations. Get a free trial at securityweekly.com forward slash ANSI. That's forward slash A-N-S-I. Welcome back to Business Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman, joined by Paul Asadorian and Jason Albuquerque. We need your help in a survey we are running for research purposes for an upcoming webcast. Please visit securityweekly.com forward slash five stages of automation maturity to submit your responses to our survey. We're trying to measure how well people are doing with automating certain security processes and, and kind of we'll provide those uh, results and kind of share what we've learned from the survey in a webcast coming up in November. We also have exciting news about our programming. Starting Q4, Security Weekly is going to start a brand new podcast called Security and Compliance Weekly, which will focus on the integration of security and compliance. Mr. Jeff Mann will host the show. I will co-host with him. Also in Q4, we're restarting Tradecraft Security Weekly. Tyler Robinson will be bringing us new tips and techniques for red teamers. Look for both of those new shows starting in October. All right, gentlemen, let's get into some articles for the week. Very good, very I, good. Yeah, I'm going to start with this, why new leaders should make decisions slowly. Mm. Uh, it, this was an interesting article for me. You know, one of the things when Paul and I were having the conversations last year about this time, actually, mm. uh, about coming over to Security Weekly mm. as a CEO, Paul's got all these great ideas. We're like, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, do this. And so it would have been very easy to come into Security Weekly and start doing a whole bunch of stuff. Right. And this article talks about, you know, why leaders sometimes fail early on because sometimes they're making decisions too quickly or they're trying to make too many changes in, in the environment. One of the things we decided to do was kind of focus on some of our operational processes mm -hmm. and, and kind of get those nailed down. We wanted to make some changes to the website, which, oh my gosh, we're almost done with. Mm -hmm. Just <laughs> a couple little tweaks so that we can get our content to our 
audience faster, right? So we, we chose some very strategic things we wanted yeah. to focus on. Um, and, and yeah, we might have been a little slower than than we probably wanted to when we first thought about it. I think, you know, sometimes you do have to act quickly. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, you know, it depends on the scenario, right? right. I, mean, I mean, when you take a look at it, you're walking in the door, um, you just got hired into a new role, you want to make a big impact. That's human nature, right? Right. But at the end of the day, you have to kind of take a look at the environment around you, right? Are you are you in a place where you have to walk in the door and you're in this like turnaround situation, right? You have to take um, a brand and, and reinvent the brand or reinvent the department. That may give you a little bit of leeway to make some some good, quick decisions to kind mm-hmm. of help that quick turnaround. But if you're walking in the door to a culture that already exists, already has processes, already has mm-hmm. a, a successful leadership team in place, you got to take it a little bit more slow, right? Because the last thing you want to do is is walk in the door and bulldoze the department you're walking into, right? I mean, at that point, you have a choice. You yep. can either bulldoze and, and, and break something down, or you can take that slow, methodical um, you know, uh, process where, you, where you're going to go in there thinking, I'm going to learn this organization, I'm going to learn the culture, I'm going to learn what's happening, and then I'm going to help influence from, from there, right? I, I had an advantage when I was asking Matt to come on the team. Is mm. I knew he wasn't the bulldozer mentality because yeah. I had already worked with Matt right. who came into an environment and I'm like, <laughs> nope, that's not the way Matt works, right. right? But also I think, you know, making decisions as a leader, some th- it's about prioritizing and executing, Absolutely. right? But on a more grandiose scale uh like what the the seal team book talks about in a in a battle scenario right but if you step back i kind of put them in like three different buckets in my experience right sometimes there are things like literally sometimes on fire right (laughs) absolutely or failing that you we have to execute on Mm -hmm. right like right now we're trying to get approval through an api Mm -hmm. unfortunately this is on fire takes priority there's other things that you know matt and i have, have in the team have collectively prioritized to be like yep this is what we're going to be pushing forward on, and not just us, but all organizations, right? Mm-hmm. Then I feel like there's things that may seem like they fall into the first two buckets, but really don't. And I find sometimes if you wait long enough, either they're no longer issues because yeah. you've done projects in the first two buckets, or right. the problem is completely different and requires a completely different solution sure. because you've waited so long. I think the important point for a leader is identifying things in those buckets mm-hmm. and knowing which things can push off because either they don't matter now, they might not matter in the future, or you know that there's going to be so much change that the solution is going to be completely yeah, different. Yeah, you're not going to have the ability to, to execute on it well. Right. If you yeah. have too much noise on your plate, you're not going to get anything done well. Yeah. Right. So, so take those focus areas, find where you can make the best impact, right, right. and focus on that. So at least you can show progress, you can show maturity, you can show that as a leader, you are the right hire to come into this organization, but right. you can't overwhelm the, the teams and yourself with too no, many projects to and too priority. many things in the in the popper, right? I think we've done a great job <clears> at <throat> setting priority. And I think some of the most uh, efficient and awesome teams out there, yeah. I, I, one of the things I think they consistently do well is yeah. they know what to prioritize. I mean, I'm going to be honest, any time I've been hired into a leadership position, one of the first things I say is I'm going to provide you with a 120 day plan. Right. Yeah. That's that's my my objective is I'm going to show you exactly what my at a high level, what my map is for the next 120 days. Right. And I usually break it into a few segments. It's time to prepare. Right. I have to walk in the door, yeah. l- learn the culture, learn the other business unit leaders, learn well, my peers, you have to build collect relationships. Like Matt exactly. said, like I have a lot of ideas that call me the salad shooter, but I'm like, let's throw it all out there. Yep. Right. Yep. Now he's like, this is like, I was brainstorm. Mm. Okay. Then Matt goes back and he makes his spreadsheets. <laughs> 
and it comes back in a nice prioritized <laughs> list, right? That's it, right? Those are the kinds of people you just one role that you need on your team. Yep. And I would say it's an absolute requirement to have someone right, on your right. team like that. And and that's right. part of it, right? You go in there and you you assess the current state. What's yep. the current state of affairs, right? And then from there you can build a plan. Right. And then from there, you start communicating with the other business leaders, leaders and the stakeholders and maybe your leadership team on. All right. Here are all the different priorities that I'm bubbling up. And here's my plan to act on those. And throughout that entire cycle, it's funny when I when I build out the 120 day plan, I put communication across the top of all of them. Yeah. Because constant communication, mm-hmm. your first 120 days is probably the most important thing you can Agreed. do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, that's why we build a plan. That's yep. why we execute on that plan. That's why we talk about that plan every single month. You talk That's about right. the first 120 days. <clears throat> we're, we're 10 months into this rodeo with me. Mm-hmm. And it, it, this is it's it, communication, that transparency on how mm-hmm. we're doing against plan is super important to make sure that, look, we put a plan in place. Here's how we're executing. Here's yep. the things we still have to do. And that keeps the entire team aligned to the vision of where yeah. we're going. And, 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 and Matt, one thing I really like too is I think you can put some decisions off if you come up with an interim solution. And one example that I think sure. I've given on the show before is, you know, we had some process things and I'm like, this could be solved by software. I'm like, in the meantime, let's try the whiteboard thing. And you know what? That's getting us through. So going Stop to, that. and I Absolutely. took this from the 100%. Phoenix project, right? I'm like, let's just create whiteboards mm-hmm. for now. And that buys us time. 100%. Right? In the, and so you can make the more impactful decisions later because going to Staples and buying a couple of whiteboards, sitting with the mm-hmm. team for a half an hour and figuring it all out. I'm like, okay, we're off the, to the race. There's nothing wrong right? with putting stop gaps in place. Yeah. But again, the communication's key, right? Oh, yeah. It's you talking to, to the team and saying, hey, listen, for quarter one and quarter two, we're going to leverage a stop gap and then Q3, we're going to invest and then right. here's, our, gonna, our, here's our implementation timeline, right? And to your the article's point, Matt, that I think gives you time to make a better decision down the road, mm-hmm. right? And in this case, I think it's a shining example of, well, we've done the process in whiteboards. So sure. when either we go buy a solution, host some of it in a cloud service, develop mm-hmm. some of our own, hire a, whatever the solution is, we now have a much better set of requirements and, to, and to I'm going to be honest with you on. that, I mean, that's a blessing that, that you guys did that here because many times organizations will buy solutions mm-hmm. and try to retrofit their legacy oh, process. Huge mistake. That's a huge mistake, right? So, so mm-hmm. I always say if, if you're going to invest in a new solution, the, the, the first thing you do is you reevaluate your process, right? I mean, you have to, right? right? And it's a reevaluate pain, the it's, process, it adjust pain, it if you need. It's painstaking. It is. But at the end of the day, you're investing in the future, yeah. right? Instead of thinking in the moment, I just need a new shiny blinky tool to fix everything. That's right. not going to happen, mm-hmm. right? The other thing I want to add here yep. too is, is communicating to the team measures, right? So this is what success equals, yes. right? To be able to have that measurement and say, this is the measurement of success within mm-hmm. our organization. I think that's important as well because we all need that North Star to be able to yeah. you know, guide us to. So have, having those metrics... You it know, is communicated important. to the team is huge. Definitely. I mean, our metrics are pretty straightforward today. That will evolve over time. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, we kind of knew what we needed to do in 2019. Yeah. And so we know what those metrics yeah, are. Yeah. I mean, at us. the end of the day, it's a marathon, right? It's always continuous improvement. Absolutely. That's, that's the nature of the business we're in. We're mm-hmm. always improving everything we do. Exactly. The second article takes a slightly different course. This is kind of on the other side. Mm-hmm. And this is talking about restructuring. And this is the Kraft Heinz uh, merger and, and some of the pain that, that Kraft and Heinz went through in the restructure. And the article starts out that they're, you know, 
there was a simple formula, right? You buy a company, you trim the fat, you reinvest <laughs> the growth to facilitate, and you, and you reap all the money, right? <laughs> well, that doesn't always work. Right. Um, and, and the reason I pulled this article in is we're starting to see some very interesting mergers and acquisitions in our space. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing private equity firms move in and, and buy some interesting companies. We're seeing other companies merge with other companies. And this article talks about some of the mistakes of restructuring and some of the things not to forget about like innovation, right. uh, which is one of the big things that really killed Kraft Heinz was not innovating to keep up with the market. Yeah, I think I think that was the key, right? They weren't paying attention to the market that was out there, and you know they were just uh, hanging their hat on legacy processes and in their legacy product. When at that point in time, you know the the market was dictating you need healthier solutions. You need you know uh, we we need to have a, a healthier base of the food products that we have out there, and they weren't doing that. They were sticking with the same old, same old while they were going through this consolidation process. So yep. you know they they got behind the eight ball because they weren't innovating. And we've right. definitely and we seen could- this in security too. Absolutely. I exactly. definitely, I, and, and I can notice this trend in the security market mm-hmm. and because we follow it so closely. You can see the larger companies will acquire the smaller companies and you can see sometimes sense that kind of dip mm-hmm. in innovation, right? And we talk to customers and we visit them at booths and we do briefings. You kind of get a sense for that. And what, what you hope is that they come out of that with a much higher uh, level of innovation and solutions sure. that are really solving people's problems because they've integrated those technologies together. However, I think it's one of the more difficult things to do in, in business in general uh, is to take those different teams, those different oh, technologies. Absolutely. And, and so uh, <clears throat> what is it? Um, Palo Alto, is it Cortex from Palo Alto, right? Isn't that what they? Correct. Yeah. yeah that, that's what Palo Alto is trying to do. Now, I'm very mm-hmm. hopeful that that's going to be a really awesome solution. But yeah. it's a whole, it's a lot of work. I think so far, and I, I have yet to do a briefing with the mm-hmm. the Cortex team, but we should, I want no, to do it's that. It's a ton of work. I mean, my, my organization went through that three years ago with the, yes. the Carousel Atrium yes. yes. acquisition, right? Yep. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. It's, it, it's all about the leadership, right? Mm. At that point, you know, you have two separate companies operating in two different ways with two separate, uh, you know, IT departments, technologies, processes, and, and it's really the job of the leadership team to bring them all together. And this article gets into it, right? There's, you know, talking about how humans react to that, right? They're, mm. they're either in an environment yeah. where they can thrive or they become, you know, they, they get caught in that fight or flight mode, right? Where they're scared for their jobs. They're scared for, for what's going to happen to their positions and in their teams. Right. And great of examples that of that in, in Good to Great yeah. uh, and some of the other books we've talked right. about too. But having about. strong leadership who communicates and actually yeah puts forward what's going to happen and what the plan of the organization is. one of the big differences between the good and the great companies. That's right? it, right? You know, so having that strong leadership. Let me, t- I mean, you know, three years later, we're doing incredibly as a company because our leadership took that, you know, took that seriously and they wanted to have one cohesive organization that worked together to make something bigger and better than what we both were. But I worked. think to you, you make a good point now that I think about it after we talked about it is mm. that when I come back to if you lose sight of what the market wants, yeah. I think you can get really hung up on how you're restructuring Mm -hmm. how you're refitting everything together and come out of it and have lost sight of what the market demands and a lot of those good to great examples Mm -hmm. the good companies not they're not bad companies they just weren't the great ones they came out of that and they lost sight of what the market the great ones made some really huge sweeping changes 
not only did that organizationally, but didn't lose sight of and actually were innovative on mm-hmm. delivering to the, their market specifically right, or right. even changing who their market is and, and executing on yeah, that extremely I, well. I would argue that that leadership did an incredible job yeah. making sure that all of the resources in their organization still focused on innovation yeah. instead yeah. of being in fight still or flight. Still focused on the Because right when thing. you're in fight yeah. or flight, you're going to uh, shut down. Yeah. You're not going to be innovative, right, as, mm-hmm. as an employee of an organization like that. So, um, you know, the... the it's imperative of, of leadership teams to continue to push for innovation and mm-hmm. push for folks to challenge the process. There's no better time to challenge the process than during an acquisition mode, Agreed. right? Yeah. And I think the article does a really good job of identifying the difference between survive and thrive mm-hmm. and, and why having a thrive culture drives innovation, right? You want to do the right things. You want to continue to grow. If you're in survival mode and you're cost cutting and and, and skinny and everything down, that's when you're going to lose sight of the market. And that's when you get in in a lot of trouble. Oh, absolutely. And then, and then the rumor mill and assumptions and those type of things run rampant through the organization. And then employees start losing trust in leadership. It's a Mm -hmm. vicious cycle if you, if you don't do it correctly. Yeah, definitely. E equals MC squared. How do we apply that to our daily lives? This was an, uh, a very uh, interesting article talking about the balance of time, energy, mass, and speed and how those components of Einstein's equation need to be balanced in our daily lives to make us more productive and more happy. So, it, it, you know, this was an interesting, fun little read. Yeah, it was pretty funny. You know, the, one of the opening lines was, bust your ass too hard. You'll fall in fall in bed and be exhausted. If you bust your ass for too long, uh, in seconds, you know seconds will feel like minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it's like if you bust your ass too hard and too long, you're done, right? You have no more energy to do anything. <laughs> so that opening line is just like wow. It, it, it you know it it makes sense to have balance in life, right? And, and and we've talked about this on the show before. It's if you don't have balance, you, you're literally going to run yourself ragged, and then you're doing mm-hmm. no justice to the organization. You're doing no justice to yourself, and you're doing no justice to your team. Yeah. It's funny. I have been trying to get up early uh, along those lines, right? Yeah. Speaking of like running yourself ragged. And through the summer, it was easier because family and kids didn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Now I got, you know, kids that got to be places. Right. So, right. Um, so you try and adjust your schedule. And like sometimes the wife will ask, she'll be like, are you getting up early and working? I'm like, I don't know. Like yeah. tonight and tomorrow morning, one of those things, like mm-hmm. if my body feels like it needs sleep, this is one of the ones where yeah. if, if I need sleep, I'm going to get sleep. If I'm up early, I'm going to work. It's mm-hmm. one of those kind of days where my body chooses what, you know, yeah, what, my right, ske- right. what my schedule is. And a lot, a lot of times I do that on the weekends to make sure that you don't get burnt out because Absolutely. then it's going to be harder to keep to the schedule once the mm-hmm. week comes if you want to get up a little early, if you want to get up at 4.30 instead of 5, if you you haven't rested you know, over the weekend. Yep. And again, that speaks to the point of balance. Right? It, it is, right? And I love the way the article laid it out about you know different ways to balance time, energy, mass, and speed. Mm-hmm. But then they also threw in this fifth variable emotion mm-hmm. and if you pay attention to your own emotions you'll know when you're feeling cranky or yeah. irritable or and you know something's up right so pay mm-hmm. attention to the way you're feeling right? right you know if you're if you're feeling extra angry or extra depressed or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be you really need to pay attention to that and say all right what, what where's where am i losing balance in my life yeah is it i'm not getting enough sleep i'm working too hard you know i'm focusing not exercising too much enough yeah. Yeah. that's it mm-hmm. right. that's when my wife knows whether i need to eat or not Yes. You get hangry. Because I'm hangry. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly right. One third of business doesn't recognize IT as a value creator. Uh, a very interesting read. And the reason I bring some of these articles in is because 
because of security's association with IT, sometimes around that a stigma, is we can apply some of these findings potentially to us as well in the security industry. How many companies view security as a value creator? Right. Um, that's kind of an oxymoron for, for most of us in the security space, right? <laughs> um, so again, it, you know, these articles I bring in because I want us as professionals to learn how are we viewed in the organization? Are we viewed mm -hmm. as inhibitors or value creators? Uh, this article talks about it from an IT perspective. I thought this was really interesting. Uh, Mendix uh, surveyed a thousand business and IT stakeholders in medium to large size companies globally. Mm -hmm where half of the respondents say their budgets are too limited to deliver solutions at scale. Um, and uh, only a third uh, saw the business technology decision makers as uh, value creators. Um, so just some interesting stats in here of this, this continual concept of digital transformation. You know, as businesses need to continue to move and transform, is IT a partner in that and mm -hmm. helping them create value through that transformation? I hope so. Or are they inhibiting growth? Yeah, I well, mean, no, I, they I, have to be part of that whole, uh, basically, the value delivered to your customers in a business. Uh, IT and security have to be. They have to be right? tied to that. Right? I mean, the, IT it's a little harder the further separate it is from the product, perhaps mm -hmm. when you get down in the nitty gritty. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's really. One thing, IT is providing a service that makes the business more efficient and able to deliver yeah. a better product and or service sure. to your customers. And that's that's what the value creation is sure, for sure. me. Right yeah. now, product is like, you know, if you were to like say, we're going to do DevOps and Agile and mm -hmm. you apply that directly to your software product, I think that's going to have a direct positive impact. It, it all depends on, on the outcome, business you're in, right? right? I mean, at it the does. end of the day. It does. And, and I was surprised at some of these numbers. They were a lot worse than I thought they were going to be. Um, but, but, but to that point, I, I think, I think we as IT practitioners and IT leaders need to do a better job of communicating upstream the value we're bringing. Agreed. And by the way, don't have those conversations in IT or security terminology, yeah. talk to the business, right? And, and that's, that's one thing that I, I, I you know, I want to say to any IT or security leader that's out there, start knowing the business, learn the business, build relationships with the business units. Cause that's the type of conversations you need to have. Yeah. Right. Cause I, I think I'm seeing a slow trend where consumers, whether those are enterprises, business to business mm -hmm. or uh, uh, B2C consumers in general are focusing a little more on security. Uh, we heard it when sure. we were at compass yep. uh, IT security, mm -hmm. cybersecurity symposium last week, where a lot of people, you know, we saw a presentation by Jesse on IoT, and some were like, "Yeah, I don't want any IoT because it's not secure," or "I want to get like the smart doorbell, but I'm afraid of the security." Right. And when you can point to a company that's like, "Well, no, this, you know, Ring, for example, yeah. I know from researching them when they do have a security vulnerability, they're really good about handling it. They push automatic right. updates, and they're better about it than some of the other IoT vendors, and that's inspiring confidence." And I think whether That's the business the, is a consumer yep. or it's an individual that is in your home, it's more and more becoming part of the conversation when we're talking about adopting and a product or service. And it can become a competitive advantage. Absolutely. 100% can become a competitive advantage for an organization, right? I think in IoT, like we're, we're it's still in its infancy, but mm -hmm. it's it's playing a factor. Yeah, right. I mean, think about it. If, yeah. if, if that doorbell company came out and said, you want to know what? We are the most secure, yeah. uh, privacy-focused organization and, and we can prove it and here you go yeah beat us up test us right we'll show you 
that will push some consumer confidence out there like we've right. never seen. And the advantage in that scenario is it is a security device for your home as well, which has a parallel into the enterprise security that mm-hmm. we that we recommend for enterprises too. No, absolutely, right? absolutely. Yeah, and that kind of leads into this next article on shift to digital businesses booming, but our CEOs ignoring associated risk. John Wheeler from Gartner was speaking last week at the FAIR conference and, and brought up some very interesting points that people have to realize is that digital businesses where CEOs want to move, but they have to recognize if we're digital, it's not only a huge risk, it's a, a complex risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These digital transformation projects in, in the technology we're deploying, in the integration of all these different technologies, not only creates l- large risk areas, but it's also very complex because mm-hmm. the second point he makes is you have to understand associated risk. And, and that is hard for a lot of organizations to get their heads wrapped around when we think about these very complex business systems. Oh, absolutely. And it's not just technology risk. There could be compliance risk, regulatory risk, mm-hmm. legal risk, all of these other business risks across the organization that, you know, as, as CISOs or as security leaders, it may be our job to kind of bring all the stakeholders in and say, hey, listen, it's not just technology risk here. Legal, come in. Finance, come in, right? And let's have conversations about mm-hmm. overarching business risk. Yeah, I think the more yeah. we push the digital, the uh, I think the easier it is for someone mm-hmm. you're partnering with or using as a service or whatever to say we're not going to do business yeah. with you because your security stuff isn't in order. That's right, right? and I mean, th- that's a that's a real as we transform into more digital business. Right, a lot of those decisions are being made as we see more compliance mm-hmm. like GDPR yep. and such. Like, would you know, would you partner with someone who is not focusing on exactly. compliance or exactly. doing? I think it's going to become now, more and more about, of a business You want to talk issue. about adding value? We talked about it in the previous yes. article. Yes. When you're sitting in the room with the CEO and you have finance there and legal there and your services team there and you're you're leading a conversation about enterprise risk, yep. that shows value. Right. Yeah. And, and his third point was developing a risk-aware culture means deciphering the difference between digital business risk and cyber risk because mm-hmm. they're not the same. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we tend to think of cyber risk as technical technology risk, but there's a lot of other mm-hmm. risk associated with digital business transformation. And you have to understand the differences, but also where they overlap, because those create some very interesting risk areas that need to be addressed by the business. Yeah, no, 100% yes. agreed. Again, risk it's, it's, management's back. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, no, it's, it's yeah. the article actually says, you know, IRM is, is you know, GRC repackaged <laughs> at this point, right? <laughs> Yes, that's what we're going to cover on the news show starting tomorrow. So <laughs> there you go. Because we're going to dig into some of these topics. So 5G, everyone's yeah, talking about 5G. Right. Everybody's talking 5G. And the reason I brought this in was, one, I think it's good for people to have kind of a, a, a base place to start to understand what is 5G, first of all. And then what are some of the potential use cases around 5G as you start thinking about technology transformation? Uh, the third one is we're actually going to talk uh, on ESW this week, Paul. We're bringing on somebody that did some Huawei research, and Huawei's been in the news about their 5G technology. So we're going to dig in under the covers a little bit. So this is kind of a precursor for ESW on Wednesday with with Finite State. Um, so that's why I brought this article in. But, you know, look, 5G is the latest iteration of cell technology. Mm-hmm. I, we've all heard about it. But what are some of the interesting ways 5G is going to change business? And and so I pulled a couple out from this article, right? The ability to have fixed wireless for better business connectivity. Mm-hmm. Think about that. 
we're used to hardwiring our branch locations. Right. Can we actually use 5G wireless now to connect those? And what are the implications from a security perspective that way? Yeah, no, I mean, um, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's amazing. I mean, they were having conversations in here about private 5G networks, right? And that could play into there. So yes. now having your own private 5G network to interconnect all of your facilities together. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah, and think about the technology shifts and some of the security issues mm-hmm. associated with that when we think about doing that. And we also know that this is going to give us expanded coverage. This is going to allow us yeah. to tap into new rural areas that, that um, couldn't get coverage. You know, yep. So now we think about even potentially more connected people around the world because now we can expand coverage into areas we couldn't have before. And now we're putting more systems yeah. into the environment, which has always been the promise, right? Billions of devices. Right, right. And, and the one thing that caught my eye was, was um, you know, municipal or public sector security, right? Uh, law enforcement and, and having these high resolution security cameras on this network and, you know, using it from a, from a government perspective. Now I start saying, Oh, oh boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that, that's where my, uh, you know, my tinfoil hats starts to come out and say, Oh boy, private right. 5g networks, government run. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. No, thanks. <laughs> Anyways, if you want to learn more about 5g, there's a great article, some use cases, but if, if you want to dig into some of the interesting research on Huawei, we're going to cover that on ESW this week. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Everyone, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week on Business Security Weekly.